Welcome to another episode of the Copio with CISO podcast. I'm your host Sivanathan. Today, I'm thrilled to be joined by Rodney Lee, a prominent figure in the Malaysian cybersecurity scene who, like myself, found his way into the field somewhat unexpectedly. Rodney not only excels in his day job but also actively contributes to local cybersecurity chapters and communities, fostering information sharing and promoting cybersecurity as a promising career choice. So, without further delay, let's dive into our conversation with our esteemed guest Rodney as he takes us through his personal journey and shares his insights on navigating the complex world of cybersecurity careers. Welcome to the show Rodney. Uh, tell me about yourself, explain how you got into cybersecurity and what do you do now? So basically I come from a surprisingly uh, I come from this uh, accounting background. I wow. stu- I studied accounting and I got myself at LCCI, London Chamber of Commerce. And uh, I was in an oil and gas firm for nine years. But during the tenure, uh, there were like 60 to 70 PCs at that time. And uh, I was so interested in the computers that I started finding out things myself. So uh, getting very interested in how the, the drive those days was 20 megabyte drive, you know, the green monitors and all that. So that's how I got into IT. And subsequently, I was uh, introduced to a company, Silicon Intranet and Networking. And generally, this guy, this guy was the first IT security company in the market those days. From that on, it was, uh, you know, all the way. Lah. Currently, I am business development for uh, Firmus, Sundaram Bahad. I help out the sales team. I don't have my own customer base, but I'm like um, in a deck of 52 cards. I'm the four jokers inside the deck. (laughs) (laughs) Don't say that. Don't say that. You know, I've known you for a very long time and Mm. I know your background, you know, what you're capable of and your reach that you have in the industry. Very interesting that you mentioned that you started off with accounting and then oil and gas. Really, I didn't know that part of your your background. Uh, Mm. So... (laughs) <laughs> this, yeah. That's definitely news to me. So, yeah, a bit more about your current role uh, mm. and also your current company. What do they do specifically? So, Firmus does cybersecurity consulting and security services. So, started about 15 years ago. Basic customer base is uh, mainly financial industry and uh, a lot of penetration testing, security services, compromise assessments. And sometimes after the consulting piece, Customer will always ask us, you know, hey, you know, why don't you take the product as well? Because we we trust you. So the 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 kind of business that we do generates trust between us as a provider and the end user as a customer. Because <clears throat> the trust level has gone to a place where they are able to say, hey, you know, what do you think we should do based on the vulnerabilities that you have found, based on the issues that you are seeing? Can you help us to go through this entire journey? Because we all know. Cybersecurity is a journey. So this current company that I'm with, we basically starts off with very much journeying together with the customers to take care of their cybersecurity needs. Right. So now definitely that's a transition from your previous roles. And looking mm-hmm. at your background, you have been a CEO of a company. You've been a, in, in leadership positions. So I suppose you're also a hiring manager at your company, previous companies. And even in your company right now, and perhaps I'm sure you know a thing or two more than me with regard to hiring cybersecurity talents, given your years of experience in the industry, 
right so on that note what's your view on the cybersecurity talent shortage it is much talked about right is it a real problem that companies and industries are facing right now or is it just a mismatch of businesses expectations and professional alignments i think this has to go to um our education directions if you notice a lot of the cybersecurity talents are basically bringing up talents uh, that is uh, necessarily usable in a cybersecurity market for example if someone comes out at the age of 21 and then they start their cybersecurity education journey it will take them easily another 3 to 4 years before they can be accepted into any organization this is actually becoming a very issue problem because cybersecurity has leapfrog ever since the 3 years of mco and people are working outside of their office their their safety zone and you realize that there's a lot of call for cybersecurity requirement because people don't know what to do and when you want to try and get people uh, around the industry you realize that hey there's there's no there's no feeding like for example people talk about having 200,000 accountants coming out in the next 2 years there's no such thing coming from the cybersecurity alumni i would say but you will have the some of them like uh, isaka you have uh, ec council coming out with a uh, very specific cybersecurity uh, educational pieces but it doesn't help because they are they are not generating as many talents as they should be when you are generating talents from the accounting from engineering perspective or even from a doctorate perspective so you're talking about probably a couple of hundred a year where the need is becoming the number of thousands every year because more and more requirements are coming up from the cybersecurity uh, stage so for me the schools or rather the universities got to start changing their mindset when they prepare syllabus in the coming years right so i suppose you alluding towards having a more structured early education create that supply for the demand that we have and that's what we are lacking and you mentioned about apu and i i also realized that you know apu is uh, ahead of the curve the rest you know the main supplier for industry or market ready talents from your observation what are they doing different they are able to do that and other universities are not able to do i think one of the things that i see them doing is they engage the industry players they actually work with industry players to build the syllabuses and to build the test labs inside the university itself that's actually brilliant because you use the technology that has already been used in the market and you bring it into your university and you teach that lesson by the time they come out these people that comes out from this university is actually usable talents they don't have to be retrained anymore because they had early education in the u to do the things that the, many of the suppliers or rather the technology partners have already been doing that's the one thing that i think apu has done really really well right circling back to the earlier question with regards to whether it's a real problem and it's just a mismatch right i don't know but sometimes i do see job descriptions that are crazily written that businesses expect cybersecurity people to do so much and not willing to pay the right amount and mm. also i i digress a little here but i also notice where recruiters approach talents without really doing a background, proper background checks and and simply mm. through jds that don't match their current positions and experiences at all 
especially people like us you know if you're talking about experienced people you get put off by all these recruiters they are trying to you know probably they are trying to cast the wider net thinking that they can you know find the right talent but it's not really working right the next question is what steps can hiring managers take to make it easier for people to enter the field of cybersecurity you know i'm really talking about for entry level positions here i i think the best thing for hiring managers to do is to realize that you don't hire based on cvs anymore i mean i'm one guy who who never look at cvs when i hire uh back in a time when i was a ceo of a company for about 5 years and then previously another ceo of a public research company for about year plus 2 i realized that um the people that comes with very very well written cvs about all their experiences most of them don't stay long with me whereas those who i don't really look at their cvs but having a comfortable chat with them realizing that uh they are really looking to learn uh while they don't have the experiences that i want but the desire and that passion for the industry actually these are the people that make good and become few key people that i've known in the market today give you an example i was in a company that um uh, we were building up the soc and one of my hiring managers told me that this guy who uh, used to do his father's business in um, trading logistics uh, was very interested in cybersecurity and after meeting him for the first time i totally agree uh, managed security services company i think the hiring manager must stop shortcutting the process of hiring by just referring to jds because the jd would have been used probably 10 years ago or some smart hiring managers could be writing the jd with uh, chat gpt <laughs> you know yeah and, probably now right <laughs> yeah i mean I just i mean i tried that actually uh, my hiring manager asked me hey ronnie you want to hire a pre-sales manager can you give me the jd i said i don't need jd just let the when i give you a cv just arrange for the interview and then i will i will decide whether i want to hire this person or not he said no 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 we have to have a jd with so you know what i did i went to chat gpt and i said can you please give me uh, jd for pre-sales manager in it security industry and pam 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 four pages of jd so today for me the hiring manager must you see i i argue with my bosses a lot you tell me i have this kpi and then you give me two head counts but you don't allow me to hire the people that i think is suitable for me to fight with me to go to war with me to go to battle with me and you decide for me who is suitable for me that doesn't work i i i think there's two step here one is the hiring manager of which the person reports to and of course the other is the hr manager right. so the hiring managers in this case must be given empowerment to decide who they want to choose to be their comrade in the battle ahead to meet KPIs to meet the the quotas and the targets that the company has given and the HR managers on another side must be able to trust this hiring managers to ensure that they are given the full liberty to choose who they want to work with right so can i assume that specifically for cybersecurity domain from the points that you just mentioned you don't even care if the person has got it background or not because i've seen non it people coming into this space and doing wonderful job oh, right yes. i just want to share one experience that i had as a hiring manager in my previous job I hired a person with chemical engineering background and i was not even interviewing the guy just part of the uh, interviewer panel 
Hmm. And the hiring manager decided not to hire this guy, but I just jumped on <laughs> onto and say, "Look, I think this guy would be a great fit to yeah. the vacancy that I have." And you know what? He had high level of problem solving skill and data hmm. analytics capabilities. And my word, he came in and thrived in the job. I have two experiences I can tell you straight away. I was the CEO of this uh, IT security company, and I was given. Two headcounts to hire salesperson. I interviewed one lady. She was actually selling building materials. But after talking to her, I decided to take her against my HR managers,、uh, saying no to this person. She came in within the first nine months. She was top sales among my five salesperson, and now she's like almost a key person in another very huge managed security services company, taking care of the sale. Another lady who was selling. Baby and maternity clothings. Within six to nine months, again, she became the top sales of the company, and then she went on to become the head of sales of a very big cybersecurity company. So, really, three desires of the people coming in. Number one, are they the kind of person who is looking for money? In other words, money is their deciding factor. Number two, position. Those people who is very very appreciative. When you promote them one rank up, because they have done something right, they will actually go and die for you. And then the next is those people who are working for praises of the bosses tap on the shoulder makes makes it very very nice for the entire day. You know, it doesn't matter if you don't pay me as long as you keep acknowledging my 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 successes. I'm very happy. So we need to know who these people are, and the moment you know, you can match those requirement. Anyone that comes in will be able to excel in the area that. Yeah, just to add on to that, some personal characteristics or attributes that I look for, apart from you just mentioned, such as curiosity, problem-solving mindset, ability and willingness to learn new things, ability to work collaboratively across teams. I mean, these are very important things, right? And I always tell my HR team to assess the candidates from this perspective rather than purely academic background, CVs, qualifications, and whatnot. Moving on, I for one thing see that especially for positions that have been vacated, hiring managers tend to replace the role instead of taking a step back and think how the role was a few years back when it was newly filled. Did start somewhere potentially at the lower end of the spectrum. But we hiring managers tend to think that the new person should step in and continue where the previous person left it off, without giving time to adapt, fit in, and learn about the new job and company. Like I said, I I do see that there is a clear mismatch、uh, of expectations here. So, what's your view on this? Yeah, I mean, you you said it really really well. It's basically a clear mismatch of expectations because <laughs> poor guy came from a different place. All right, and then he comes and join you, and you expect him to start immediately. It is not easy, even when we talk about、uh, a raise, four、uh, by one hundred. When you want to pass the baton, there is a way of doing things to ensure that the baton doesn't fall off. So this guy doesn't even know the previous guy who was here before, and then all of a sudden, he is expected to take his place the way that he did this. But the question is, what kind of of growth? Have you given this person, and then six months time, if they are not performing, quote unquote, then you tell them, I'm sorry, this position is not for you, right? But to be fair, 
that six months is what is needed for this guy to actually assimilate into the situation before he or she can actually perform as a replacement. I mean, the way you put it, you know, for the previous guy. Right. I know. I feel guilty as well because sometimes as hiring managers, especially if you are in the senior leadership role and in cybersecurity, you constantly get pressure from the rest of the business. And mm-hmm. sometimes you just can't help to put that pressure on these new hires for them to perform from the get-go. Yeah. But I hear yeah. you. But, <laughs> but then you another make... thing, another thing is, you know, uh, I I am very passionate about this kind of subject because I'm the bad I, guy. I know. I know. Why do you thing. think that I'm interviewing you for this? <laughs> you know, sometimes we we talk about cybersecurity. You know, you and I we are in this industry where we says we must have uh, disaster recovery. We must have business continuity plans. You know, but why aren't we having BCP for the people that are key in the, in, the, in, the, in the office? Then you don't need to have this kind of immediate replacement and put your company in a position where you are lost for the six months and you're struggling to find a good replacement for that person. Now, let's talk about how to enter this cybersecurity field. I'm very sure a lot of our listeners will be interested in this. Like, you know, where do you start? Is it from school, college, university, or even the part of taking up professional courses and certification? Basically, where does someone start to enter this field, including those that are thinking about career transitions, say like from a non-IT field? I I also do get these kind of questions. I I basically, like I mean, like I said in the earlier part of discussion, uh, I came from the accounting background and I was an accidental cybersecurity person because the reason I went into cybersecurity was because prior to that first cybersecurity job, I was having my own business. And when my business got, got into trouble, uh, I had to come out to work. There was a friend who introduced me into this company, went for interview, and they were asking me, you know, are you able to sell firewalls? And I told this guy, seriously, this is the real conversation. I said, firewalls? What do you mean firewalls? I thought there's, you mean the fire brigade, but with the passion that you have in the area of wanting to acquire knowledge. So, which brings us to this particular subject. How you want to start, look at the industry today. Uh, Confucius say one thing, for if you find a job that you're interested in, you never have to work another day. So, in this industry, and you're just doing it because you want to look for a living, I'm telling you, you won't be able to find uh, yourself in this industry anymore. So first thing first is, if you think that, uh, oh, I think everybody is telling me cybersecurity is a good place to go. I think I want to go into cybersecurity. My advice is go look at IT in general first. All right, Go for a generic IT paper or I'm not a university guy so I won't know what what we're talking about right so go for an IT diploma so that you have a base subsequently once you're in there then you'll be able to know where your interests really are because in IT everything is IT today you will have a lot of choices in between test out cybersecurity as a minor and then slowly move on from there if you really are interested in doing that. What I mean by being interested is other than studying for your exams or for the things that you need to do for your papers, you are going way beyond those things. You are like, today you're supposed to finish chapter two, but you're already reading chapter four and chapter five in advance. That's the kind of interest that you know that you are definitely in this industry. That's what I I, I, I always tell my, my children, even those people who come and look for me, for advice, I tell them, 
go generic first. Don't jump straight in and then regret, like what I did with accounting. In my time, accounting was the status, you know. When you're an accountant, you will not lose your job. And accounts cloud definitely can get job one. No need to worry. So that's what I did. But very slowly, accidentally, I moved back into IT because that was really where my interest. And as we migrate from IT to IT security, slowly the, the interests become more and more because very gradually, IT and IT security is like a brother and a sister or a cousin, you know. They will just move slowly together. And, and, and that's how you can create and how you can start in the IT security environment. Right. You mentioned about you coming into this domain by accident. Mm. <laughs> I must admit that I'm also an accidental cybersecurity guy. <laughs> so I graduated from telecommunications engineering and, and I was working for the biggest telco in, in Malaysia back then. Mm. Uh, and I resigned from the job, this one multinational company, which happened to do IT consulting. And, you know, they were looking for someone to just drive their computer forensics. work. Can you imagine? I've never heard about computer forensics. And I just got interested and I said, yes, why not? I would like to give it a shot. And the rest is history. Started falling in love in the in the field, and proactively, I decided to uh, do masters in information security, or take up some certification courses. You know, like like you mentioned, right? You start falling in love, and then you slowly move from IT, and then you know, security, forensics, and the domain is so huge, yeah. right? Cybersecurity domain is like so, so vast much. that <laughs> you can specialize in so many things, and you can even be a generalist. Right. I did want to ask you about training and certification because I get this question for someone to take up and enter this field. I realized um, one thing, a lot of the IT security engineer I know today, what they lack is actually the IT network knowledge. The issue with IT security is uh, over and above the network systems that are being used. So if you're an IT security specialist, and you don't know network, seriously, it is coming into the kitchen with an egg, with oil, but you do not know how to switch on the, the stove. So you must know a little bit of what, uh, even in the early stage, early age of my, my years in uh, this first company that I worked with, I actually recommended my engineers to be CISSP certified. And that was like 22 years ago when CISSP was just recently introduced. For me, CISSP is like, uh, the Malay word is tindanan. I don't know how you say that in English, you know, when you have where cybersecurity and network meets. So this is the place intersection. where... The intersection, yeah. I mean, if you, if you want to talk about network and the IT security guy won't know what you're talking about, then you find uh, someone who is a CISSP to help you translate. That's what I say, all right? So CISSP, even though it is a very, very heavy paper, I think it is a very good place to start if uh, someone wants to go for certification. Of course, that is a very generic certification which belongs to no particular person. But then you will have uh, other courses like uh, Certified Ethical Hacker, uh, Certified Information Systems Auditor. Lately, we have uh, Certified Cloud Security Professional. One thing that I have taken myself, which I have not, those names that I've given you just now, I've actually not gone into any one of those certifications because I realized that I'm not someone who likes to study. Right. And seriously, <laughs> I look I look at the book and I go, oh my goodness, not again, you know. But because I was 
I was very passionate about the industry. I actually took up all the investigative stuff, the, the risk requirement and all that stuff. And that helped me to start looking at various smaller sections. I actually tried to take the CISSP exam. I ended up stopping after three hours. I couldn't, <laughs> I couldn't finish it. You know, I, I'm, I'm not a, I'm not a reading person, you know, and and these these are some of the things that I think any person who wants to go for certification must. But you must know where you want to go first, because today, cybersecurity is uh, divided into two: the technology part and then the risk and governance part. So these two actually works hand in hand, but not necessarily together. I mean, Siva, you and I, we know even today they segregate the technology risk against the governance of the IT team today. So it depends on where you want to. Are you those people who are really into technology or are you the kind of uh, group that goes talking about risk and uh, data protection and all that? So it all depends on where you want to go. But if you ask me, I think CISSP is definitely one area. Okay, let's switch gear and talk about or non-domain specific certification or training, i.e. transferable skills. So what are some of the most important transferable skills people who are thinking about joining this domain should possess to ensure a successful career? You would have had this in engineering background and yeah. you can just transfer, you know, your ability to communicate, your ability to put technical things together and translate that into a business lingo. So these yeah. are skills that very much needed. And why I ask this is also even now in the industry, people are really struggling and thinking that cybersecurity is an extremely technical domain. I, I don't think there are many people in the industry that are able to string this together, all these technical jargons, terminologies, lexicon, and able to convert that into a business lingo and able to engage the C-suites, the board in an insightful manner, if you will. Mm -hmm. So th those are some of the transferable skills that I mean. I take myself as an example. I think I pride myself in being able to uh, listen. Cybersecurity has to do with problem solving. First thing about problem solving is you must learn to listen to the problem. I, I've seen many people who almost always try to speak before the customer finish talking about their problem. <laughs> and that is definitely no-no because you need to be able to listen. And even if you already have the answer in your mind, you must handbrake yourself and wait until the customer finishes because there are still little, little things at the back which you may have missed out if you were to come in and cut him, right? So listening skills are very important. Learn to listen. Second thing, like I mentioned just now, is of course problem-solving skills. How do you develop problem-solving skills? What are the lessons that you, that you use in school that require you to solve problems? Mathematics. So if you are really interested in cybersecurity and problem solving, then be good in mathematics, all right? Because maths gives you that kind of mindset to say, if I can't do it from left to right, maybe I can do it from right to left. If I can't do it from top to bottom, maybe I can try bottom to top. The working around mindset all right. Right, in solving the skills. Thing that I look for when I almost never, but sometimes I refer to the CV, is I want to see if this guy who wants to work for me is actually strong in his maths. <laughs> that is something that I look for. Because someone who, is, who scores a lot for the mathematics almost always have very good problem-solving skills. Last thing is, of course, read a lot. Don't ever stop learning because 
you will never know. I was just talking to a bank board of directors, about 12 of them, uh, just a couple of days back. We did a uh, security rating score for them sometime last July. Nine months later, their score went down by 10 to 12%. So the bosses were a little bit worried. You say, what did we do wrong? I said, no, you didn't do anything wrong. In fact, you maintain your ability to protect your domain. But the hackers have improved. They have upped their skills and we have to catch up. So the next thing is the ability to learn new things as we improve on what we are having. We need to learn new things. What are the things that our people are doing outside today? When people keep, I mean, don't just follow. Like a lot of people are shouting XDR, XDR outside now. Really, what is XDR? It is not even supposed to be a product. You know, it's a concept of combining the three elements uh, that has to do with mail, network, and endpoint. So a lot of people don't realize and, and, and they, they, they shout the same thing. And when they are questioned by people like Sivanathan, you know, then they get in trouble because they cannot answer. <laughs> Sounds <laughs> you know? like zero trust product to me. Yeah, there we go again. <laughs> you know, so learning is very important. Never stop learning. Problem solving skill and also listening skills. So especially problem solving skills, that resonates a lot with me as you brightly pointed out which I completely agree, right? To me, if you are able to see a problem, you know, able to weigh the options to identify the upsides, the downsides, the trade-offs, mm. and then, you know, apply the solution in a creative way, um, given cybersecurity landscape evolves very rapidly yeah. um, to the problem, then I would say that you have the skill to excel in cybersecurity domain. Mm. Right? Yep. That's right. Right. So let's talk about the, the coveted CISO role. Oh, right? no. <laughs> so oh my goodness. what kind of a background or certifications should a CISO have to excel in the position? When I say this next statement, a lot of my friends are going to kill me. <laughs> <laughs> a CISO should not be a technology security manager before. Ah, you just took the words out ah, of my Please, mouth. please, you know, <laughs> give the job to someone else. You know, right. don't, don't think for a moment that because... You've been an IT security head. You can take over the CISO role. I'm telling you, I'm not saying you're not capable, but rather the mindset is totally different. This CISO role, if you ask me whether this is, I mean, you mentioned coveted CISO role. I think the people have learned that this is not a coveted position anymore. All right. Especially after what happened to the Uber CISO. <laughs> so, and, and I've known many CISO today. They realize that CISO has got a lot of responsibilities, a lot of things on their, on their shoulders. The things that they don't have, which are important, is budget and resources. And they don't have power. They are like a second line of defense. And being a second line, you are like the afterthought. Unless your organization puts you in a position where you report directly to the board. Otherwise, this particular CISO position is definitely not coveted at all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, couldn't agree more, Rodney. This is what I've been telling, I mean, to a lot of people within my circle as well, right? I don't mm. see the CISO role as a technical role at all, Yeah, right? In fact, not. it's a business leadership role. Mm. It's a risk manager, essentially, right? Yeah. You mentioned second line. I also see CISOs in the first line or even 1.5 layer. Mm. You, you name it, right? Essentially, a CISO is a business leader able to really understand the business needs and able to connect the dots and really look at cyber from the risk management perspective. 
That's right. right. And, and, you know, talking about certifications, I think that's the question uh, I also had in mind. Uh, I think a CISO might benefit from having certifications like CSSP, like you mentioned, because CSSP yeah. is, is not really a technical certification, but mm-hmm. more of, you know, a management kind of a certification. But then again, I don't think it, it, it's a mandatory for, mm-hmm. for a CISO to have. I don't like to mention, you know, companies that competing with people in the market, but rather I find that uh, when... EC Council uh, rolled out their first certified CISO program. They had a good plan. Uh, That was really, really good because they sort of put people who are in the CISO environment as a community. And that's what you really need because uh, the CISO community is very, very important to give you guys the kind of support that is needed. But frankly, if it is not anything that has to do with business uh, risk-related I think the certification is not so important for this position. Yeah, we are almost at the half hour mark. Um, mm. I would like to circle back to the earlier or conversation that we had mm. with regard to hiring manager because oftentimes uh, people will also be wondering coming into this domain, what is the kind of you know, career path progression they will have when join a, a company, right? Mm. So. On that note, I'm wondering what can or should hiring managers or companies do to ensure the talents they, that they identify and hire have a clear career path when they join the company? To be fair to many companies that I've seen, they all have a career path all identified and listed, just like our security policies here. <laughs> you know, it remains in a folder. <laughs> the issue is, um, uh, I mean, this has to do with why companies are losing talents. Do not allow the, the, the guy to or the girl to have a clear career path. This person is going to feel frustrated. Without progression, they will go and join someone else. That's the risk that you're putting yourself into, right? And there must be a clear path. For example, when I was uh, taking care of a, a security operation center, managed services company, we always, almost always hire security analysts, level one. The moment they come, because they are so new and we take a lot of interns as well and fresh graduates from uh, uh, German Malaysia Institute, from APU. And most of the time, they don't know what they want. But the hiring manager that we work with together, my team here, what we do is we already lay it out for them. For example, the SA will come in for two years. We tell them this is what you need to do. You need to soak yourself in locks. You need to know what is threat hunting. You need to know what is correlation of all the firewall logs, the IPS logs, the endpoint logs and all that. And then subsequently, we need you to be able to do a L2 and an L3 role, which is mainly managing the team, uh, doing duty swapping at times, and also the ability to do threat hunt. So there's uh, two steps. The moment they finish this, which will give them a, a easily between three to five years, they will come out of the SOC and they will become associate consultants where they will start doing things like penetration testing. Some of the other security services that they do could be compromise assessment using uh, EDR tools or it could be breach attack simulation and all that. So these are the various fields that they can choose from. Two, three years down the line, they can be senior consultants. They will begin to move into governance risk compliance where you deal with senior managers and C-level people, right? So we basically have a continuous 10-year plan for this particular person 
And barring the fact that the staffing in cybersecurity has very quickly become a stock exchange, or I call it a staff exchange, you know, where people bid for people, you can keep this guy for 10 years. My job to ask you to stay with us for two years. After two years, it is my job to keep you. Because I guarantee you, two years in cybersecurity, there will be people looking for you. And as far as a career path is concerned, you need to set it up. Because if you don't, you're going to get into trouble. And, you know, Rodney, just got me thinking, you beautifully charted a career path or roadmap. And I really think that you should write this up, post it somewhere. (laughs) Right? Yeah, yeah. I, I really think that, especially in Malaysia, many people are still wondering, Right. So what's next? For example, even for the role of a CISO, right? You become a CISO and after that, what? Right. You know, there are for every level, these kind of questions that people have at the back of their mind. What is it that I can do next? What path should I choose? Um, actually, when you mentioned about CISO, very surprisingly, I actually had that thought before. If I have enough money to start an organization and I, you know who I will promote to be the next CEO? CISO. Because, that's interesting. Yeah, because you see, this guy will... Uh, gradually become my chief risk officer. And as a chief risk officer, he has my company in his heart because he will look at every risk, whether it is the risk of too much of investment or not enough investment in the digitalization, like what Kodak and Fuji used to do. You know, I would think that a CISO role would go to CRO and subsequently become the right candidate to be a CEO because he will have all the risks of the business in his mind and in his heart. I mean, if, I, if I've ever been able to do that, I would definitely do this. Hire the CRO as the next CEO. Right. That's a very interesting take, uh, Rodney. I would also think that probably it's more aligned towards a digital company uh, or technology company. Because when I think about a role of a CRO, say, for instance, for a bank, deal with, many kind of other risks where you know mm. you, you probably cannot even imagine coming from a tech background like for instance liquidity risk credit mm. risk market risk yeah. but what you just mentioned right yeah I, I will agree for if it's a digital company technology company IT based company yeah why not right it makes mm. sense because this guy will have that knowledge end-to-end enterprise level risk because mm. ultimately when you are becoming a CEO while you are going to be driving the business the board is going to be looking at you and also asking you how are you going to manage the risks that you have inherent to your business, for example, right? Yeah, it makes you the sign of those risks that you want to accept. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so um, finally, Rodney, um, hmm. what are some of the places or resources that people who want to get into cyber can go to, like a local community association, a local chapter, where you know, other cyber professionals get together, they congregate uh, to exchange stories, views, and also men- uh, mentor each other. I could think of no other places uh, except for the the annual gatherings that we always have, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Seriously, I, I mean... I, I think I know what you mean, right? I think yeah. there were some local chapters started off by some institutions and then they all just died off. Yes, and, and there is only two individuals in the entire country that has continued to do this for the last six to seven years or even 10, 20 years. And yeah. they're both in my company. <laughs> <laughs> but then I would like to add, so mm. if you want to go and learn, be part of a community, probably not a face-to-face chapter, as you mentioned, you know, uh, probably it's more like a virtual community. Listening to podcasts, 
okay shameless plug here right <laughs> listening to podcast is a great place to go to because you can listen to people sharing their experiences yes, yes. lessons learned takes they've made and also you can learn better by putting yourself out there ask questions and engage mm-hmm. in responses like posting your views on certain topics on social media like linkedin you you do get you know good engagements there right oh you can yeah, write a right. blog in yeah. malaysia we have this malaysian cybersecurity community on linkedin someone can actually you know you know go in there uh basically i'm also one of the manager of this group it's quite interesting that uh, my current boss uh, dr allen site uh, set this up previously and there were a lot of uh, people who the, the new i would say graduates that are asking to be listed in this particular group so i think it, it is good like you mentioned you know even podcasts and all that i have got to know many of the ciso in philippines in indonesia in thailand in singapore because of such communities within uh, the linkedin application there are so many of them there and the last question i ask uh, my guest is if you had a chance to do something totally different in how cybersecurity career path has been designed and implemented currently what would that be? i would want to build a sock inside universities university partner with technology players in the market not necessarily spending millions work together with technology partners like what apu is currently doing i think they're doing really really well and once in a while on a quarterly on a monthly basis get technology specialists to come in and share with the student raise their interest on what's happening in the market out there and what kind of career opportunities are out there who are looking for what type of student this way i think you'll be definitely raising interest within the universities I remember early days there was one group of uh, students in Taylor's University they were very excited and they were always doing this many of us get invited into the university to share like on a quarterly basis just one session students can come during their break between uh uh classes and it will be throughout the entire day many universities and colleges can do uh, work with the various industry partners like what Singapore has been doing over the last 5 years you know i i know of uh, nanyang polytechnic working with one particular sim company i know nus work with another and so on and so forth even in our country today we have swinburne university working with some technology partner we have sunway university working with some technology partner and of course apu themselves working with uh, some technology partners good insights there Uh, Rodney because these universities that are doing these things but I was just thinking while you were covering this 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 question because how in 20 or 30 years ago where many of these tech companies used to set up labs in most of the universities in Malaysia right you know you talk yeah. about Motorola Cisco and surprisingly we don't see that anymore especially for cybersecurity so and i i wonder why is it because at that time they were leaders and they were monopolizing those space as opposed to cybersecurity which is so fragmented so congested with vendors service providers and all that i think the question is uh, just like what you mentioned throughout i mean our entire conversation tonight the technology company's expectation is i need to fulfill my kpi and bring in the numbers right the education entity or institution hey i need you to teach me so that i can build up and bring talents out into the market it's totally a mismatch it's a parallel line running 
for 20 miles and they never meet. Why don't you do this? How much does it take for you to market your brand? Say, oh, X dollar and X. I say, fine. What if I can give your brand recognition to a continuous 3,000 person every year looking at your brand? Hey, that would be very nice. I say, yeah. Why don't you set up your sock in this particular university? Give them a 90% discount. For God's sake, you only sell CD. Ma. I mean, those days, that's what we always say, you know. You, you, the <laughs> software, you only sell CD only. Ma. Then you train up. By the time these people come out from universities, they are training your solution. I think that's an excellent point. And also, you know, going back to my earlier point where those companies that I mentioned, like Motorola, Kia, Ericsson's and whatnot, they used to set up. At that time, technology was not rapidly evolving. Per se, mm. right? No, now most of the cybersecurity companies they are shortly. Their lifespan is so short that you know either they go bust by another uh, new technology or they get acquired. So I guess, like you said, you know it's all numbers and KPI. They got to deliver as fast yeah. as possible. Rodney, I do have one bonus question yeah. for you. Okay. <laughs> that you know you've been in the industry for so long. What keeps you going? Actually, the industry is the key thing that keeps me going because this cybersecurity industry is always churning up new things. And being a blue team person, you find joy in helping somebody who's in trouble. I remember one customer call up one day and say, hey, we just got into ransomware, blah, 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 blah. What are we going to do? We rallied the team, went in within three hours, got their business back into business as usual, BAU, and then spent the next one week doing investigation and cleaning up whatever remnants that are there. And when you finish and you come out and you finalize the report, I mean, yes, the PO was there, the value of the money was there, but the joy of helping somebody out of their difficult situation, actually, it, it goes a long way. Yeah, it's satisfying, right? So yes. it's a job of helping others. Great. So Rodney, uh, I must admit that this is my longest recording. I'm so sorry. <laughs> um, and no, no, this has been, been a fantastic discussion. It did live up to the expectation. And, mm. and I know that you are one of the most looked up guys uh, in the industry. And I look up to you as well, given yeah, your experience, you. your knowledge and all that. And it's been a great pleasure talking with you. And I did learn a lot. I took some notes and I really hope that our listeners will have a lot of key takeaways from this conversation. And I also yeah. think that this topic is so interesting. Maybe in the future, we might want to, you know, do a part two of this to continue, right? Because talking about career in cybersecurity, you know, you can go and on and on. And there's just so much to talk about. Thank you for joining me for another episode of Copio with CISO, your go-to source for insights on the latest cybersecurity trends and best practices in Malaysia. I hope you found this episode informative and engaging. I look forward to sharing more insights with you on my next episode. Until then, keep calm and secure on.